Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We study the theme Oneness in Christ. Lesson three that they all may be one. It was the night of the Last Supper. Judas had already gone, yet left. And the eleven apostles were together with Jesus. And he told him many important facts. And these texts we have in the epistle of John. And in this stories we hear from there, the highlight of all of this is at the end, before they leave, they, they leave this upper room then and walk to Gethsemane, to the Mount of Olives. And just before they leave, the last act of this evening, is Jesus' prayer. Jesus prays for himself. In John 17, we find this prayer. And it's interesting. When we start reading, John 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. The time has come. Very often before that we hear that Jesus says, My time hasn't come yet. But now, the time has come. Now it is. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. What is eternal life? Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, the only true God. There are not many gods, and they are all of the same value. <laughs> the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, to know him. Knowing him means being in a close, personal relationship with him, knowing him, knowing him, as you know persons who are your friends or in a marriage, your kids, colleagues at your working place, people you know better than others because you spend more time with them. And the more time you spend with somebody, the better you know him. Isn't it like this? Of course it is. 
my wife tells me what I'm thinking at the moment without having said a single word. She reads in my face. She knows me. The better we know each other, the closer we come together. This is a picture, a parable for the relationship to the Lord. This is life eternal. Being in close relationship to him. And Jesus prays for himself because he knows what will wait now for him in Gethsemane where he will have to make it sure. Am I willing to go through all of this? And we see he wanted to act in accordance with God's will. Whatever the costs would be. That is love. Jesus prays for his disciples. It's the next point. In the beginning he prays for himself. And then for his disciples. The disciples, they looked up at Jesus. Impossibilities, not with him. Any problems, not with him. Imagine, there's a storm, hurricane. The, the, the boat is about to sink, and they see themselves dead. And then Jesus, what does he do? Be quiet. And this was the solution. Be quiet. <laughs> and the storm follows this advice, <laughs> this command. Be quiet. And the storm is quiet. <laughs> this is Jesus. A person lame from the day of his birth. Jesus steps up to him. Helps him on his feet. And the person jumps and runs and walks. <laughs> Unbelievable. A person, blind, has never seen anything. Jesus touches the eyes. The person can see. 5,000 men, hungry, only a boy with a few bread and fish. He feeds them all. If we have a look, close look at him, we see nothing can stop him. He can solve any problem, any. And Jesus knows that his disciples will experience a shock. The one who knows everything, who can manage everything, he will die. He will be crucified. 
and they will see him dying on the cross. And, and they, they, they can hardly believe it. The one who, who has a solution for everything, this person, he, he, he dies. He, he doesn't do anything about it. He just walks to willing to be crucified. They, 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 they don't understand. How can that happen? How can that be? And Jesus knows this will happen. So he prays for his disciples that they are able to go through this period of deep, deep night for them and their soul. And to read this in chapter 17, when he says, I pray for them, for his disciples. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father. He addresses his Father in heaven. Holy Father. Do you remember how the Pope likes to be addressed? And Jesus said, do not call someone on earth like this. He is the only Holy Father. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. That's his wish, his desire, that they are one, his disciples, as Father and Son are one. Oh, what a wish, what a desire, what a prayer. For those who will believe in me. The prayer of Jesus is one which is divided in three parts. First he prays for himself. Then he prays for his disciples. And then he prays for those who will believe in Jesus because of the witness of the disciples. And this witness will go on from year to year, from decade to decade, from century to century, up in our time, 21st century, AD. So Jesus prays for those who will believe in him because of the disciples, so he prays for you and me. He prays for us. 2,000 years ago, he already prayed for us. He had a vision. What would happen? Witnessing, witnessing, next generation, next generation, 
it will go on and on and on. We read in verse 20. May praise not for them alone, for the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. The sense of it, that all of them may be one. Here's the desire again, that all of them may be one. Not just some friends, same age, same generation, same time, but they are one. It's already a miracle when they are one. But <laughs> he prays that all these people, through all the generations, through all the centuries, that they are all one. Because when they appear on the cloud with the angels who have transported them from the earth up there, then it's important that they are all one. Otherwise they are divided, separate. Otherwise there will be schism. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, so I pray that they are one. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples and for those who will believe through the witness of the disciples in him. And all these generations, hundreds of years, thousands of years, all those who discover the love of Jesus, all those who know Jesus, they will be one in Christ. We see there's always a gap between generations. The youth, they don't understand their parents. The parents don't understand the youth. How can you think and act in such a way? Ah, these young people, ah, these old people, I cannot understand how you can act like this. There's a generation gap. <laughs> Jesus prays that from one generation to the next, for 10 generations, 20, for 100 generations, that they are all one. We have difficulty from one generation to the next, from the, from the children to the parents. And he prays for generations onwards, 2,000 years, that they are all one. <laughs> That's his vision. That's his desire. To be one. What a message. What a prayer. What a desire of our Lord. And that we are one as Father and Son in heaven are one. Thank you, Lord, for this prayer. Unity among Christians. Of course, we must be united as a church. If we are divided, we are weak. We need 
unity. But Jesus' desire goes even further. What about unity with other Christians? What about this? In Jesus' time, there were the Jews, and they were the elected, and the rest, good for nothing. And they were proud about that. We are Abraham's children. We are the ones. We are the chosen people. We are circumcised. They are uncircumcised. We are the better ones. We are better off. And then Jesus said, interestingly enough, and we read this in John 10, chapter 10, verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of these sheep pen. Hmm? Other sheep, which are not of this sheep pen. Ooh, who's that? Yeah, they are Jews and they are non Jews. <laughs> Jesus wants to unite them. And Paul had a hard time in the early church to, to unite the Christians, Christians who came out of the heathen areas to unite them with the Christians who came out of the Jews. To unite them, to bring them together. So, Jewish Christians, heathen Christians, it seemed impossible. It seemed really impossible. Because that the gap was so big, so wide. How, how could it be preached? Now, I have other sheep. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Sounds like unity, doesn't it? There will be one flock and one shepherd. In Mark chapter 9, the Apostle John had some difficulty. He said, well, we saw someone. Teacher, said John. We saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against me is for us. Whoever is not against us is for us. God has faithful people in other churches. That's the truth. 
in Revelation 18 we read, Come out of Babylon, my people. Hmm? In Babylon, my people? Yeah. So not all of them, but my people who are still in Babylon. Come out, because Babylon will be destroyed. So come out, so that you are not destroyed with them. In Babylon, in the wrong church, my people. So they're everywhere. We have two movements. A movement of uniting churches, uniting denominations, confessions. That's the ecumenical movement. We don't want to join them. And there's a movement uniting followers of Jesus, those who are in Christ, individuals, uniting people. It's the right movement. And the wrong movement, uniting churches. It won't help. It's just an institution. You can unite, unite, unite. It doesn't help for uniting people. It's only uniting churches, denominations. But Jesus wants people to be united. That in the end, there's one flock and one Shabbat. One faith shared in love. Father and son, they love each other. And they love each other in, in such a deep personal relationship we cannot imagine. And Jesus takes this as a parable, as a simile, to tell us in the same way, I love you. In the same way as I love my father and I loved by him, and I'm loved by him. In this way, I love you. That's great. John 15. And because of this bond of love between father and son, this bond of love goes on from Jesus to you. If you are willing to love him. And this bond of love goes on from you to your next person. And if this person loves you after this person has experienced, oh, I'm loved. I love too. Then it goes on and goes on and goes on. And we read in John 13 this famous text in the verses 34 and 35, when Jesus says, and he is one who, who wants this love going on and on and on. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, 
He was willing to die for us. And in this quality of love, so you must love one another. So be willing to die for another one. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's, it's a mission which works better than anything else. Because where can you find something like this, anything like this? It's, it's nearly nowhere. Being loved as Jesus loves his Father. We're loved by him. And if we love each other in this way, it's such a miracle, and it produces unity. The less love, the less unity. Lacking of love, disunity. And the devil, he triumphs. But let us, Jesus, triumph. He, he is the one that loves us and wants us to love him and wants us to love each other. And in, in this, there will be a circle. And people who watch will see. Jesus says in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It goes together. Where there is love, There's obeying. It goes together like twins. Love wants to show. It's love. It, 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 whenever people fall in love, they, they want to show each other how to love each other. Later on, well, why don't you tell me that you love me? I've already told you that. Ten years ago, I've already told you. But couldn't you repeat it? But you know it already. Is this love? Love is shown daily in a loving relationship. And this is eternal life. Being together with Jesus day by day. Reading him, praying to him, being loved by him. Loving him. Summary. Now, as Seventh-day Adventists, what do we claim? Do we claim like to choose? We are the elect. We are the only one. And we are the universal church. No, we don't do that. The universal church is broader than any denomination, confession. Much broader. It goes through, through all denominations. The universal church consists of all followers of Jesus on this planet. And the universal church will be seen when Jesus comes again on a cloud, when he sends out his angels, when they collect all those 
who love Jesus and are willing to obey him, to obey his commands. And then when they bring them all together on the cloud, then we will see the universal church and they will come out of many different denominations. And we hope that most of them will come out of the Seventh-day Adventist church, but we know not all of them. There are followers who, who are hypocrites. They do or act as if they were followers, but in their heart, they look for sinning. They think a better life would be without obeying. Nonsense. It's the devil that tells you that. The better life is with Jesus and only with him. He's the only one that can give you better life. Quality of life. Love, peace, joy forever. But there is also a remnant church. Those as we find it in Revelation 12, those who obey God's commands in the last verse. And in Revelation 14, we find this again. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints. And now they are defined, the saints. What are the saints? Who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. They obey God's commandments and are faithful in Jesus. That's the secret. Because they love him. Why? Because they love him. They obey his commandments. They have this faith, this trust, this confidence, this loving relationship. So, we have a universal church with all the true believers from all the denominations, and we have a church that teaches these things, that all of the Ten Commandments, in the way as God has given them, are important. And you cannot just put one away and change from Sabbath to Sunday, or leave out one as has been done in the past. We are God's true church. But that doesn't mean that everybody in this church, that each member will be saved. Because you need a personal relationship with your Savior. No church can rescue you. No church can give you eternal life. The best teachings will not save you. If you do not love your Savior and are willing to obey him, 
That's the key. Do you have a loving relationship to the one who loves you and was willing to die for you? Do you have this loving relationship? Then you will have peace, joy, quality of life, beaming with joy. That's what we are aiming for. Amen.